As we uh, get going this morning here, I want to once again take some time for us to pray right where you're at in your homes. Obviously, we prayed at the beginning and through other times here, but specifically for what you're going through and what's happening in your lives, in your home. It may just be that it's you, wherever you're watching on a phone, or it may be a whole family that's gathered together around the TV. Uh, I want to take this opportunity to just pray God's blessing. I did that last week, and maybe you didn't quite catch it, but I want us to kind of get that as a pattern to bless the B-L-E-S-S, praying for our bodies, so to speak, uh, and physically praying for L, our labor and God's provision and whatever work that might be for emotionally for us, especially during this time, for socially uh, is the next S and the final S is for the spiritual. So let's just uh, gather together if you're comfortable in your families to even have one or two lead out. There's only going to leave like uh, a few seconds uh, in between each thing as we go through prayer. But let's begin uh, praying for really what's going on right now. And, and we've received requests into the church, um, some of which I'm not sure that really you can share uh, in this such a public format. But there are some really serious things happening in people's lives, very serious. And uh, so let's go to prayer this morning right now. Father, we come before you. We recognize that you are the great and awesome God creator of the ends of the universe and there is nothing that will take you by surprise in all that's happening. And so Lord, we bring our burdens before you. Each one in our own place, we lift them up even right now. And Lord, we pray for your blessing to be upon our family and friends, even those in the room with us right now. And we begin to pray for your blessing by praying for our bodies physically. That you would keep us healthy. That you would keep us safe. We ask your blessing to go upon our labor for those who are still able to work and for those who are not that you would provide that as we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, all things will be added to us. I just pray that blessing upon each one. We pray emotionally for those who need your joy this day to come through for those who need your peace. Lord, we just pray specifically for those in the room with us. Lord, we recognize as well socially how we interact with others. There may be those in this same room with us that it's getting difficult at times. There may be some that we're separated from that that's difficult. Work your healing in all of this. Even for those who are are there by themselves. May they recognize that they are not alone. Never alone. And Father, finally, we ask your blessing spiritually. That if there are those who do not know you, that 
maybe they've got religion, but it doesn't seem to make a difference. Like a true, real, personal relationship with you can. One that has that vital connection that you give to us that we really can say that we love you and we know that you love us back more than we could ever imagine. We pray that you would draw those in closer to you. In fact, all of us would be drawn closer to you in this time that we would stay connected with you just as much as we want to stay connected with others. And Lord, as we move into looking in your word, we pray that you would speak to us. Help me to speak your words, but Lord, I know that you can say things to us wherever we're at right now. You can say things that have nothing to do with anything I'm saying. You can break through. So speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Move in us and change us to be more like you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would turn to in your Bibles and uh, whatever that might, however that might be, we're going to look at Joshua chapter 22. In Joshua chapter 22, we're going to begin with verse 9. And as we look at verse 9. So the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh. Those are the two and a half tribes that we'll talk about later. Left the Israelites at Shiloh and Canaan to return to the Gilead, their own land, which they had acquired in accordance with the commands of the Lord through Moses. And when they came to Gileath near the Jordan in the land of Canaan, the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half tribe of Manasseh, built an imposing altar there by the Jordan. And when the Israelites heard that they had built the altar on the border of Canaan at Gileath near the Jordan of the Israelites' side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. And so the Israelites sent Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the, the priest, to the land of Gilead, to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And with him they sent ten of their chief men, one for each of the tribes of Israel, each the head of a family division among the Israelite clans. When they went to Gilead, to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they said to them, The whole assembly of the Lord says, How could you break faith in the God of Israel like this? How could you turn away from the Lord and build yourselves an altar in rebellion against him now? Was the, not the sin of Peor enough for us? Up to this very day, we have not cleansed ourselves from that sin, even though a plague fell on the community of the Lord, and, are now, and you are now turning away from the Lord. If you rebel against the Lord today, tomorrow he will be angry with the whole community of Israel. If the land you possess is defiled, come over to the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and share the land with us. But do not rebel against the Lord or against us by building an altar for yourselves other than the altar of the Lord your God. And when Achan, son of Zerah, acted unfaithfully regarding the devoted things, did not wrath come upon the whole community of Israel? He was not the only one who died for his sin. And then Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh replied to the heads of the clans of Israel, the mighty one, God the Lord, the mighty one, God the Lord, he knows and let Israel know. 
If this has been in rebellion or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us this day. If we have built our own altar to turn away from the Lord and offer burnt offerings and grain offerings or to sacrifice fellowship offering on it, may the Lord himself call us to account. No. We did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us. You and the Reubenites and Gadites, you have no share in the Lord. So your descendants might cause ours to stop fearing the Lord. That is why we said, let us get ready and build an altar, but not for burnt offerings or sacrifices. On the contrary, it is to be a witness between us and you and the generations that follow that we will worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and fellowship offerings. And then in the future, your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no share in the Lord. And we said, if they ever say to us, Or to our descendants, we will answer, look at the replica of the Lord's altar, which our fathers built, not for burnt offerings and sacrifices, but as a witness between us and you. Far be it from us to rebel against the Lord and turn away from him today by building an altar for burnt offerings, grain offerings and sacrifices other than the altar of the Lord our God that stands before his tabernacle. And when Phinehas the priest... And the leaders of the community and the heads of the clans of the Israelites heard what Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh had said. They were pleased. And Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest, said to Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is with us because you have not acted unfaithfully toward the Lord in this matter. Now you have rescued the Israelites from the Lord's hand. And Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest, and the leaders returned to Canaan from their meeting with the Reubenites, the Gadites, and Gilead and reported to the Israelites. And they were glad to hear the report and praise God. And they talked no more about going to war against them to devastate the country where the Reubenites and the Gadites live. And the Reubenites and the Gadites gave the altar this name, a witness between us that the Lord is God. We're going to finish with our passage this morning here in Joshua 22. Uh, We've been exploring over the last few weeks. This is part three of the message as we look at the question that we should be asking ourselves, is this really worth fighting about? This might be a question that comes up a little more often right now for those of you who have to stay at home together under the same roof with nowhere to hide and nowhere to run. By the way, you can listen to the previous messages on our website, occachurch.com. You can find those. But understand this, if you haven't listened to them, that's not going to change anything today. You will still get God's message for you today. In part one, much of the focus was on love. In part two, much of the focus was on truth, the whole truth. And hopefully realize that we have to put those two together, love and truth. It's As we work through conflict, it's so important that love and truth go hand in hand. It's kind of like... A rubber band uh, could be a good illustration of this. In fact, there is a, a picture, hopefully it will be up on your screens that you can see from Peacemaker Ministries. And it, and it talks about when there's just love at the very top there, when there's just love and no truth really about it, the rubber band is just sitting there. It's just sitting there with no tension, unused, unhealthy, That's not what it was made for. 
But when there's a focus on just truth, then you're at that bottom picture. Kind of like taking the rubber band and pulling it back, getting ready to fire it at someone. By the way, please don't try this at home, kids. But when love and truth come together, it's as if the rubber band is being used in the way it was intended. You see, a rubber band tends to pull things together and hold them together. But for it to do that, there has to be some tension. It's a good thing in a rubber band. And believe it or not, tension even in our relationships can be a good thing. As long as we're not stretched to the point of breaking, it's a good thing. The tension in our relationships can cause us to be drawn together and stronger together. That's the kind of conflict that we're looking at this morning as we finish up Joshua 22. The final key to answering that question about whether this is really worth fighting for. Uh, I'm not exactly sure why it seems like many people think conflict is a surprise. That somehow as Christians we shouldn't have any trouble. In fact, we see in this scripture here in John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus said, we're going to have tribulation. We're going to have trouble. And we say, okay, okay, I get it. Yeah, life isn't going to go perfect. But for some reason, we still think that people should be perfect as they deal with us. And that we shouldn't have any problems. Yeah, we got problems in life, but we should never have problems with people, especially Christian people. I mean, after all, they know better, right? Well, when you look throughout the Bible... Even in the New Testament, the apostles, the disciples, the book of Acts, the early church, there's conflict. There's conflict between good people of God. In fact, why would God write so much about how to deal with this in his word if he didn't know we were going to have this? And that if he didn't know that he can take something and make it good. It's like in Colossians chapter 3. Uh, Again, on your screen, uh, verses 12 and 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy in love, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. The question is not whether conflict is going to happen. The question is when. And how we are going to deal with it. So we will have tension. We will have tension that draws us closer together and makes us stronger. Hopefully, what we can get from this passage is that conflict does not always have to be something bad, something that makes you mad or even sad. It doesn't have to be destructive or divisive. Instead, conflict can be constructive and uniting which is what we will see here so conflict is an opportunity not only to grow together but grow in christ likeness but most importantly as it should be with all of our life conflict is an opportunity to glorify god have you ever thought about it that way 
We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You hear that? Whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. Ultimately, our lives should be lived to bring His, Him glory. And so in this third and final key to this whole um, message on how do we you know, know whether this is really worth fighting about, we need to ask this question. You see it here. Does this glorify God? If so, how can this conflict bring glory to God? We're going to look at two different ways of how this conflict can bring glory to God today. First, as you see, we can glorify God when in conflict we reflect His character. That's the first point on your screen there. We can glorify God when in conflict we reflect His character. So here it is. Phineas and the delegation came over to talk with the two and a half tribes uh, out of love to find out the truth before going in an all-out civil war. And they start these peace talks, so to speak, in many ways with kind of a major rant against the two and a half tribes. I mean, look at verses 15 there, and we're going to read beyond that. But look at verse 15 as Phineas and the, the gang that he brings with him says this. When they went to Gilead, to Reuben, Gad, the half tribe of Manasseh, they said to them, the whole assembly of the Lord, you know, everybody's saying, how could you break faith in the God of Israel like this? How could you turn away from the Lord and build yourselves an altar in rebellion against him now? I mean, he just goes on and on. You know, it's, I know sometimes as we're reading this, as we talked last week, it's hard to see the love. It is on down there in some verses we won't look at today, but it's there, but it's kind of hard. I mean, they are out and out accusing these two and a half tribes of rebelling against God in a very passionate way. And just picture then you being one of those two and a half tribe leaders sitting there at that meeting, listening to what these people are saying and knowing that it's not true, it's not the whole truth, as they're accusing you of rebelling against God, accusing you of this and that, and only because it appeared true to a bunch of negative Nellies. So the, the whole interaction could be seen in a sense of a real slap in the face to the two and a half tribes, uh, or the Transjordan tribes, as we say sometimes. You know, now perhaps... If those tribes, the two and a half tribes, were wrong, getting a slap in the face can be a good thing at times, kind of wake us up. But they weren't. There was nothing that they did wrong, and somebody comes up and slaps them in the face, it's kind of like, oh, come on, come on, right? Put up your dukes, put up your dukes. You know, Jesus spoke to this, didn't he? You know what Jesus said. If somebody slaps you in the face, slap them back on the other cheek. Uh, actually, that's not what he said, although that is actually what we often do. I'm not saying literally, but we slap them back verbally. You've probably been there. The conflict was fairly under control, but somebody says something, and all of a sudden, oh, it's on now. Oh, oh, you just opened it up. You know, and that could have been this whole conflict that's going on here as they're meeting together. 
The Transjordan tribes could have reacted in the middle of this rant that these, they were just going on and on about how wrong they were and they could have just like said, stop. No, 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 no. Just stop right there. You got it all wrong. That is not what's going on and there is no point and you just keep going on and on and on because you are wrong. Why are you getting so upset and over the top about it? This is not a big deal. You're blowing this way out of proportion. This is ridiculous. I don't know where your head is at. But you've obviously not thought this through. You may have heard those and you can imagine perhaps them thinking those kind of things. But instead, in a way that brought glory to God, they kept their mouth shut. Instead of reacting and shooting back with their guns ablazing to the things that the people were saying that just wasn't right, they responded by holstering their tongues, so to speak, and opening up their ears to listen in the same way that it tells us in James chapter 1, verse 19. Here you see it. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Do you need to write that one down? It's natural for us to become defensive. But when we do that, our focus is usually on ourselves and then off God. And all it does is just perpetuate this me versus you battle mentality. Instead of recognizing that it's us together here. Yes, there's a conflict. But we're on the same team. Sometimes Christians in the church, they can, they can look like a, let's imagine a football team. A football team that should be out there on the field trying to win the game for God, right? That's where we should be. But can you imagine a football team that instead is stuck on the sidelines and the offensive guys are getting into a fight with the defensive guys on their same team and you're watching the football game on tv and they're saying well the timeout's over but i'm not sure what's happening uh can we go to our sideline reporter oh i'm sorry our sideline reporter is down apparently uh you know it would not just be silly but it would be embarrassing And give that team a bad name if they just couldn't get out there on the field and fight because they were so busy with the offense going against the defense, breaking into sides on the sideline. We are on the same team. Not just as we think about us as a church, but in your families. Whether it's spouses or parents to children. We're on the same team. And these two and a half tribes did not, fa- did not fight back because they heard something that upset them. And they didn't take flight either by walking out. Instead, they waited to get their opportunity to respond in love and truth. They reflected the character of God in conflict and brought him glory. And some people, I know there's still some people out there, but, but, but why? Why would they do that? They, they were right. The others were wrong. 
You know, if, if it were us in our self-righteous pride, we would have just struck back, let them have it. After all, it's their fault. They're the ones who started it. They got personal. They hit below the belt, and, you know, it wasn't true. So, so that's usually the time to zip the lip and, if necessary, bite our tongue and fight the unnatural, or I would say probably the natural, and fight the natural, unchristlike tendency to strike back. Here we see a verse in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called. So that you may inherit a blessing. What a great verse to help us in times of conflict. Right in the middle of that. What brings glory to God. Is reflecting who he is. And how we're dealing with this. A meekness of Jesus. You know. Speaking of which. If you find for some reason. That your lip zipper is broken. Jesus is in the repair business. Really, the Holy Spirit wants to help us in this. In fact, here's another verse in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. We bring glory to God. Not only by obeying His word, but in being like Him and reflecting His life. We need to remember that what we are trying to resolve is the conflict, not start another one. And that's what happens sometimes as we begin a conflict. Something happens. Somebody says this. Somebody says this. And then all of a sudden, it's a whole new ball game, a whole new conflict. We start attacking the person and not the problem. We start piling on with other problems. I mean, how many have not said, and another thing? It doesn't work that way. In personal conflict, arms escalation does not lead to peace. You know, it doesn't matter how intense you get or how much you move your arms around and how you are or if you just add on and pile on, well, this thing and this thing and about this thing and all those kind of things. That does not bring about the peace that God wants or you want, that doesn't bring about the resolution, not only to the problem, but to the relationship. Let us receive wise instruction from the Word in places like 2 Timothy, as you see, 2 Timothy 2, verse 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Yes, that means everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of truth. Can you see how that could work and change in your conflicts and in your relationships? Just like the two and a half tribes, they knew that the goal of conflict is not to win the fight. It's not to win their side. It's to glorify God. So even if they were being wrongly accused, they still needed a love that would listen to seek to learn the whole truth of what was going on 
from the other's point of view. After all, that's what they wanted. What they wanted from the rest of the tribes of Israel was what they wanted was for them to understand where they're coming from, that it wasn't what they thought. But to do that, we also have to be willing to listen to the other side, to understand where they're coming from. Not just the facts, but the feelings of why did the rest of Israel get so upset and concerned? Perhaps in in conflicts that you're in, there are deeper and bigger issues than we realize. There are things so serious in some hearts that you just trying to come out and bombard them with logical facts. It's not going to change anything. Have you ever noticed that? Because it's not the facts that are really the problem. It's something deeper. In the feelings of what is happening and what what is going on in that person's heart, not their head. And we need to listen to the point where we understand where the other person's coming from. And that makes a big difference in deciding, as we understand that, whether this is really worth fighting about. Those two and a half tribes did that. They showed a love that was willing to listen to the whole truth and hear where the tribes of Israel were coming from. And what they heard was not just that these tribes of Israel that were coming against them were were standing up for truth as they saw it. It's not just that they were standing up for God's truth and trying to obey the scriptures that we talked about last week that really did tell them to do these kind of things. In all of this, in coming against the two and a half tribes, it really wasn't just about what they did. There was something bigger at stake here maybe that is in our conflicts with others sometimes what's going on when you're getting slammed is really not all about you and yet we take it so personally there's something else there but if we can respond in love to glorify God in this way we can find out what's really going on Let's get back to what we're trying to do here next. Here's the part they heard, not just with their heads, but with their hearts that help us to understand where the rest of Israel was coming from. As they brought up the sin of Baal of Peor, worship, and Achan. In verse 17, look with me there. Was not the sin of Peor enough for us? Up to this very day, we have not cleansed ourselves from that sin, even though a plague fell on the community of the Lord. And are you now turning away from the Lord? Hear what they're they're trying to say here. At first, we're talking about the Baal of Peor worship. We talked a little bit about that. It's trying to grasp what they're saying here. And maybe we don't understand this fully, but the two and a half tribes would have gotten it. They would have heard something deeper when they started talking about this. You may remember we talked a little bit about this sin of the worship of the Baal of Peor and how Phinehas, who was right there, stopped the plague from wiping everybody out in Israel by almost literally driving a stake through the sin. But then he talks about the sin of Achan in verse 20. When Achan, son of Zerah, acted unfaithfully regarding the devoted things, did not the wrath come upon the whole community of Israel? He was not the only one to die for his sin. 
And here it is. Here's really the point. This this incident that he's talking about is in Joshua chapter 7. We're not going to turn there today, but we are going to just kind of review what happened if you don't really remember what took place israel was fighting battles and winning and god was getting the glory and he was being shown as the one true god and then they lost one badly they were defeated even people died which was a shock and a surprise because it was a wake-up call from god because of the sin of a few it affected the lives of many and unless they dealt with that sin they were not going to win again and then quite possibly they were not just going to lose more battles they were going to lose their very lives no one came forward to admit the sin and so god in a very dramatic way just narrowed it down giving somebody a chance to come forward nobody did until it came down to one person aiken who had in a battle kept back some devoted things to the lord that he kept for himself and in that moment, Israelites had to deal with that sin. And they, in a very deadly judgment, dealt with Achan. And the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Because they dealt with it, they were all spared. That's what's happening right here in chapter 22. That's also why they came to go to war against these two and a half tribes. It's not just because of this truth or that truth it's because if these two and a half tribes have built a false altar and were going to sacrifice in rebellion to god that meant it was going to affect all of israel it wasn't just that they were coming to talk about their head in their mind of how this is wrong and it just doesn't make sense that you're doing this two and a half tribes It's that their heart was burdened because if they didn't deal with the two and a half tribes, then all of the tribes were going to be wiped out and God's name would be dragged through the mud and not glorified. I know it wasn't the truth, but that's the way they saw it. By the way, it's a side lesson for all of us to recognize that this thinking that I can do whatever I want and and my sin is not hurting anyone. It is. It does. Obviously, it hurts the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It brings the very opposite of glory to God. Plus, whether we see it or not, it not only hurts people who are directly connected to you, it hurts those who are indirectly connected. They end up getting the splash, so to speak, of the consequences that come on your life. Whether we, when we intentionally sin and when we walk away from God, we put others in harm's way or at the very least remove the hand of God's blessing from covering over us, which then affects those who are near us like our families and our church family. No man or woman is an island. And what we do and what we say affects others in the blast zone of our choices as shrapnel gets sent all over. Reflecting the character of Christ matters to more than just you as the individual person. Reflecting the character of Christ in conflict matters to all around, even those you're not aware of that are watching. 
let's go back to a few verses earlier. If these two and a half tribes would have responded like we do so often and, and just would have said to the, the men of Israel, you know, how do you get this? It's not a big deal. Listen, you just need to get over it. Can you imagine now knowing where their heart was about being concerned that God was just going to destroy all of them? Somebody saying, just get over it. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. <laughs> Wiping everybody out. But because those two and a half tribes listened to understand, because they were reflecting the character of God in this. They heard the whole truth even from the heart. And they understood. And it helped them to understood how to respond to that conflict and, and, and recognize the pain that was being felt and not just come and attack back. You know, so if a person that you're having conflict with seems to just be going over the top in their reaction about something that you think is pretty trivial, and that happens, then instead of just dismissing them as wacko, our love should listen to the whole truth and hear not just what's in their head, but hear what's in their heart. Because it could be that we're missing something that we really don't understand. And that will make a difference on whether this is really worth fighting about. Especially when both sides are so focused on proving they're right. But we need to be honest with ourselves and with others of what we're so upset about, that deeper thing that matters to us, and not just argue about the surface issue all the time. Because here's what happens. When you just continue to argue about the surface issue and you feel like you got it solved, you feel like, okay, we talked about it, we're done, and then it just comes back up again... That's because you're just arguing about the surface issues. It never got solved because it's about something deeper. And we need to reflect that character of Christ that really listens and hears and loves and wants to resolve this. I mean, you can get... Just recognizing... Let's think about a deeper problem. Somebody like right now... Not right now because you're watching right now. Uh, but somebody around this time could be getting into an argument with someone in your house about how they put the toilet paper on the wrong way again. Now, I'm not going to say which is the right way and the wrong way because I'm going to start any things. The, the Word of God doesn't speak to this. You should know that. Um, along with so many other things that we argue about. But anyway, you've got this argument. This person does it again and you just... I, Boom, blow your stack at not putting the toilet paper roll on the right way. Now, this has been happening for a while, but right now you're really blowing your stack. Why is that? Is it really about that? Or is it more about the fact that there isn't that much toilet paper left and this world is crazy and everybody's taken and bought it? Is it not just that this world is crazy and they're doing that? You're not really angry about that. You're, you're upset about the fact that you can't control everything that's going on and you're being told what you have to do when you don't have that freedom and you just don't know what's going on. Could it be that that internal thing that's happening in you, your own personal conflict inside, 
is coming out and affecting the interpersonal conflict between you and someone else. That's when we think that through, we decide whether this is really worth fighting about. Will the next words that come out of our mouth be led by the flesh, by our feelings, or by faith? We are to be Christ-like in our interactions even in the midst of conflict. People should be able to see the Savior, not the sinner in us, that we are controlled by Him. In fact, we see in this verse here, in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus says this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved. Sometimes we say, oh, God told us to love one another. i got to love them. No, you have to love them as Jesus loved. You must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That is how you reflect the character of Christ. That is how you bring glory into a conflict, the glory of God into a conflict. And what if at the beginning, or maybe if it's not the beginning, you catch it at the middle or even towards the end, you just ask yourself, is this glorifying to God? How can I please God in a way that responds and not reacts to this conflict? How can I take this to a higher ground, a higher path in the midst of the conflict and bringing glory to God. How is Jesus in control in this argument that I'm having right now? Is Jesus in the driver's seat? Is he even in the car as you're having that fight? You might think the conflict is just between you and this other person. Don't bring God into this. <laughs> well, you did. You did bring God into it because as believers in Christ, the Holy Spirit is with us always. Which means right in the middle of the mess of the conflict we're in, we brought him there. There's three involved in this conflict. And we've got to remember that. The third one that we're to bring glory to. And recognize that as always, it's not just about the vertical relationship between us and God that we need to keep right. It's about the horizontal relationship between us and others. They're connected. The choice is up to us to see conflict as an opportunity for God's grace to shine and bring glory to Him or not. Now that's the, the first way that we bring glory and just briefly we're going to hit on that second way we see this in your on your screen here is that we can glorify god when our conflict results in his praise not just glorifying by reflecting his character but when the results bring about praise to god the two and a half tribes begin explaining what's going on in verse 22 Look with me there as you see the mighty one, the uh, God, the Lord, the mighty one, God, the Lord. He knows. Let all Israel know if this has been in rebellion or disobedience. Do not spare us this day. If we have built an altar or, or turned away from the Lord or offered bird offerings or sacrifice uh, on it, may the Lord himself call us to account. No, we did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? They begin to explain their side and the rest of Israel finish and the group, their ears are open because they were listened to before and now they listen. And it's easier to see 
that these two and a half tribes were right with God all along. They could hear the reverence and respect. And I realize that sometimes somebody starts to say something to you. It sounds good, but you just, uh, they, they can make it sound good. But as you listen, as you look through this passage, even farther on down to verse 26 here, it's just so clear that the whole truth is that the two and a half tribes were just doing this because they love God. Not because they wanted to rebel against God and start a new religion type of thing. They were not rejecting Him. They were trying to hold on to Him. Because they were concerned. You see in verse 27, we read as we think about where they were coming from. On the contrary, it is to be a witness between us and you. And the generations that follow, talking about this altar, that we will worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and fellowship offerings. And then in the future, your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no share in the Lord. And we say, if they ever say to us or our descendants, we will answer, look at the replica of the Lord's altar, which our fathers built, not for our burnt offerings and sacrifices, but as a witness between us and you. You see, what seemed like was true that these two and a half tribes were rebelling against God and had built this huge imposing altar to flaunt it in their face. Instead, they had built this huge imposing altar to show it to everybody as a witness, as a witness to the Israelites across the river to never forget we are one. In fact, it was a symbolic bridge between the two lands that we are one people under God, indivisible forever. Let that be so. And so it was a win-win in this conflict. It was constructive. It was not destructive. The fight was ultimately for peace. But here's where it ends as we read beyond this in verse 33. As everybody heard about what had happened They were glad to hear the report and praise God. And they talked no more about going to war against them to devastate the country the Reubenites and the Gadites lived. What a great goal for each of us in whatever conflict we're facing, that at the end it could be said we were overjoyed and thankful and to God be the glory. Can you imagine being done with a conflict and it results in just everybody praising God? I mean, Phineas and the rest of the tribe, give them credit here. The rest of the Israelite tribes, when they heard this, their response was, just as they were quick to grab their swords, their response was quick to lay them down and give God praise, put their hands up and praise to Him. There was nothing wrong, done. There was nothing they needed to do. They, you know, well, it could have been done differently or or they should have, but no, Phineas and them didn't go go there there were no extra comments no little jabs no disappointments nothing was said they didn't even go there it was just they heard the truth that they needed to hear they knew what was it they didn't need to keep beating it over and over they let it go it was all good god is good peace out conflict resolved rejoice and move on how many times do we need to do that just rejoice and move on together in praise to God for His glory. So I want to encourage you that. This morning as you were singing praises to God and and bringing glory unto Him, that same worship takes place in our conflict. 
of bringing glory to God in that way. In fact, I'm going to ask the worship team to come as we close out with this last song. As they're coming, let me just respond to that person, probably only one of you, that is out there saying, you know what? This whole question of how does my conflict glorify God really puts a wet blanket over my conflict and arguments with others. In fact, if you're saying that, then it's possible that most of my conflicts should never even happen. Ding, 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 ding. You got it. You're right. The only win that counts is the one that's for God, that finds a resolution not only to the conflict, but a resolution to a relationship for His glory. And that's the question we should be dealing with. That's that final question you see. Is this really worth fighting about? Does it bring glory to God? Now that's the key. Now we're going to get back to uh, other messages like this after Easter. Uh, but next week we'll be here again, so to speak, for Palm Sunday. We don't know what's happening beyond that, but we will be celebrating Resurrection Sunday in some way, in some shape, together. Father, I pray that you'd help us. That we would not just be in our different places somehow giving glory to your name with just our lips, but we would give glory to your name with our life. Help us now as we sing this together to decide that we will live a life that glorifies you in all we do, including in our conflicts. Thank you, Jesus.